What do you want more than anything else? You want somebody, you want to know you're loved. Love is an immaterial, it may be acted out, but, but to say, if I just knew that this person loved me, or if I knew that God loved me, what would that difference that make? dying. Or is it? Welcome again to season four of Taste and See. I'm Ted Wiesty, the director of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona, and I'm here with my uh, partner in crime, Gray Ewing. Yeah, Gray Ewing, pastor of Ascension Church of Phoenix in uh, 18th Street in Osborne, right here in the middle of the city. And so, as you know, we're into um, a few episodes now, episode five, of this season, and we've been exploring this uh, statement or question, the church is dying, or is it? And it's uh, it's great for us to have been able to interview a series of guests as we seek to have honest conversations about what's going on in the church. And, and we'd love to know uh, your perspectives and questions that you have. So catch us on social media, on either Facebook or Instagram, a uh, simple search on either of those platforms for Taste and See podcast. You're going to find us and leave your comments, questions um, on the post for a particular episode or just on uh, one of those pages. I guess on Facebook they could do that. Instagram it's not quite the same. But but questions, comments, whatever. We want to interact with those things. And um, today we welcome uh, Norm Wakefield. And Norm, we're so glad that you're with us. Well, I'm happy to be here. I'm, uh, you, of course, I've known you, Ted, for a number of years, and I was looking forward to meet somebody new like Gray. Yeah. So thanks for the invitation. Yeah, well, Norm, you know, um, I was thinking today, I first met you 30 years ago wow. when I started seminary. Um, you were, um, I'm not just saying this because we're here, but you were my favorite professor. You were my mentor. You invested in me, and... And honestly, I can say that you planted seeds in my life that at the time I sort of understood, Um, but I didn't fully even understand some of the seeds that you planted in me that over time grew up and gave me a context for so much that the Lord was leading me into. And I'm so grateful for that. Well, you know, the flip side of that is when you have the opportunity to establish your relationship and invest you know, both relationally and uh, in somebody and then just see them go on and see how God uses them you know your pastoral experience your heart for the Lord your you know all of these things I think uh, when you all that you went through medically and then the book you wrote uh, I just thought man you just reveal your deep love for Christ and how could I not really find joy in that well, a lot of a lot of your influence has been a part of my life, and on the pages of that book that you mentioned. So, so you met uh, Norm thirty years ago, and I've met Norm less than thirty minutes ago, right? <laughs> so, new to the party, but thankful to meet you. And uh, we're actually sitting in Norm's home in uh, Sun City, 
West in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And so thank you for your hospitality of having us here today. Well, as well. we always love to have people come and visit, and uh, you're very welcome. And Winnie is a good host, hostess. She's already got the coffee brewing. Oh, my gosh. That's right. <laughs> so i got to tell us a little bit of the saga of, of getting the food here today because, if, as you know, if you're a longtime listener, we have uh, a meal as we have our discussion. So we, we taste and see both figuratively and literally. We love to eat a meal together. It's part of what we do. We're committed to it. And uh, this season, we're really focusing on breakfast, thinking about Jesus and the Gospel of John having breakfast on the beach with his disciples and that beautiful conversation they have with Peter about uh, loving him and feeding his sheep and just that picture of the church before us. We wanted to have breakfast no matter what time of the day it is. And it's lunchtime right now, but we still wanted to have breakfast, so we have breakfast burritos. Uh, Ted, you want to tell us kind of what we did, the journey that we went on this morning to get these well, breakfast burritos? So, <laughs> so we were going to Salad and Go, which is this great little drive through salad burrito wrap place. And they have great breakfast burritos. And I'm telling you, I've had one of those breakfast burritos for dinner. But when we drive up, they say they don't serve them past 10.30 a.m. If only someone had warned you about that. <laughs> I know. And I said, I said, has it always been that way? She said, yes, it's always been that way. And I'm thinking, in my mind, I've had one of those burritos for dinner. So we had to take off from there. And we're like, let's figure out. So we called next. another place and said, another burrito place. And they said, we don't serve breakfast burritos either. And then lo and behold, right in front of us. Filiberto's. <laughs> it was almost like an oasis in the middle of a breakfast burrito yeah. desert. desert. Came Filiberto's. Out of the desert came this direction to Filiberto's, which is, if you're familiar with Phoenix, uh, pretty much everywhere in Phoenix. And they definitely have breakfast burritos, and they ser- definitely serve them all day long. Uh, and so we figured it was a direction from the Lord to just drive, go into this drive-thru right in front of us and get something that... Well, and some people love Filiberto. Some people aren't sure. But I'll tell you, when they gave us that bag with three breakfast burritos, it felt like it weighed about 82 pounds. (laughs) So we'll see if we can get through these things or not. Well, I I, I went to, I used to go to a friend uh, to Filiberto years ago. And I remember they had a very generous burrito. So this will be kind of like a reunion of That's sorts. Right. This is a <laughs> well, this might be lunch and dinner today. Right. So it's a marriage supper yeah. of the lamb kind of thing spread out before us. So we're going to eat these burritos, and then we're going to come back for a conversation with Norm. Thank you for joining us on the Taste and See podcast a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Our vision for the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona is to create space for leaders and learners to grow in deeping intimacy with God. Check out sfsaz.org for more information and resources, and consider joining us at an upcoming event. Now back to the podcast. We're back. Um, our bellies are actually quite full, I think. <laughs> yeah, you better believe it. Filibertos, <laughs> they came through strong. Yeah. I think uh, stronger than I expected. A lot more than I expected. <laughs> it didn't hurt that I think we were really hungry. Um, That's right. Yeah. I was kind of dragging on the way over here and uh, desperate for some food and coffee. And we eat this and then uh, Winnie, Winnie makes us some coffee and... I'm a new man. <laughs> I'm feeling it too. Yeah. I mean, you know, Filiberto's is not a gourmet, you know, 
um, foodie kind of burrito that uh, we're not scoring a lot know, of points with. No, with our the foodie hipsters. friends. Yeah. We're sorry, but it, it did the trick. <laughs> it did. <laughs> what do you think, Norm? I think. Um, well, I've tried. I've tried them years ago, and so coming back to them, they they always were abundant. They had a large, so you you got your money's worth to size, if nothing else. But I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I like. Well, it. you were you were smart. You actually just ate half and saved the rest for later. Gray and I just plowed through the whole thing. So um, that's maybe for another podcast. Um. <laughs> to be fair to him, we were pelting him with questions the whole time, so he didn't have as much opportunity to eat as we did. True, but but it was very abundant. And thank you very much. Correct. Yeah, thank you, Norm. So let's jump into our our time of just thinking through that larger question of the church is dying or is it? And, and certainly there's massive disruption in the church today. And Norm, what, what would you say to that question of why is it that people just don't seem to be interested in the church in the same ways that they were even decades ago? I, I think one thing that happened, I, I realized that we re- live in a different culture than we than even 20 years ago. The world is different. And so I think what happens is that we, I think in the church, what we're grappling with is what does it mean to be the church, the body of Christ in this culture? Uh, when uh, I, I was just saying to Gray that I finished a book about you know, J. Hudson Taylor, and he was a missionary. He probably was remarkable in that he opened up China to missions. And, and uh, this was in the mid-1800s. And when he went over, he, um, the, the only missionaries that were in the port cities along the coast, he wanted to get inlands. He just was burdened. There were millions of people there. And so one of the things that happened to him is he realized if I'm going to reach these Chinese people, I need to dress like the Chinese. And so he, he learned the language, worked hard to learn, but he had dressed like them, he, he lived the kind of a life they lived. And a lot of other missionaries didn't, they thought, they thought this was wrong, you know, what he was doing. But what he did is he identified with the people in a way that really was profound in the way they reached out to people. So I'm saying that he recognized that that was something he could do that would really help him to connect with people. Uh, I think another thing that that strikes me is... Well, can I stop you there for a second? Yes. Um, I I want to come back to your second point. So do you have a a vision or a thought on what it would look like for someone to speak the language and wear the clothes and live the life of our culture in a way that that you're talking about that Taylor did? Well, let me try to approach it this way. I think that when he went, he was always an ambassador for Christ. He did it to get connected to the people. I think what's happening today, and this relates to the church, I think that the church is is an event we go to and we say we go to church I think there's a difference between going to church and being the church. And so how do we how do we get out among the people 
clearly as followers of Christ. To me, there's a lot of a lot of ways you can look at it, but there's too many ways that if you look at statistics, the divorce rate among Christians is about the same as non-Christians. Our lifestyle fundamentally is the same. We have the same uh, lifestyle, and so when when people look at us, where do they see something that really is unique about us as a people? And so I think what's what's hurting. Well, one thing that's hurting us is that I've come to be. It's hard to live in affluence because we want the same level of affluence everybody else has and so we've got all, we've got all these things that that entertain us and involve us and so forth and so on so I think in because of, of affluence it's hard really to say what does a follower of Christ look like that is distinctive See, I, I think a question to ask is what is going to make your next door neighbor or the people you work with what is really going to make them say man it really is something different about that person because hmm. I, I don't mean it's unkindly but I think that that people can know that you are they can say well he goes to church or he says he's a Christian like that but what do they see that strikes them like this person's got something I don't have and I, my bet is, it, it, in, in, in the churches we're in, the people, are, they mean well, but I don't think that we have, I mean, I'll say us, because I'm in this as much as anybody. What is it that I'm doing that somebody says, you know, he is different, he's got something, he's got something I don't have. And that's the hard question we have to ask. See? Have I bought into the culture so much I don't look any different than anybody else. Hmm. Yeah, even going back to that definition of the church itself, the ecclesia, the the called out community, called out in what way? Called out how? Called out yeah. um, in what meaningful, significant way is this set of people different than those who are around us? Well, provocative question. If you were, let's say that that we were not Christians. And and we we needed the Lord, but what would what would we what would arrest us to the point of somebody else meeting somebody else and saying, "Wow, I've never met a person like that." Well, as you, and as you say that, Norm, what what's happening in my brain is um, it, it would I think it'd be fair to say that there's something broken or off or not working about the way um, we're discipling one another the way that we're living together and mm-hmm. that it's maybe not leading to transformed kind of lives what what would you say about what are, what are those what are those kind of essential things that um, that lead to a transformed life that maybe aren't really so much a part of a lot of uh, the experience of, of people well, church. I, I think one thing is, I think you have to make a distinction that between the church as an organism and a church as an organization. An organism is a living, interactive thing where it's, it's knit together. 
I think in many churches, we go to church and we watch somebody else. And I don't mean this unkindly. That's not my intent. You're but not unkind. We'll, we'll, You're we'll, not going but, 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 <laughs> we, but we go to church and we sit and, and look at the back of somebody's head. And we watch somebody else up front that's doing it for us, you know. And, and so where do we connect with a larger community? In I, mean, I know people say, well, we have small groups, we have DLT groups, they're doing life together, something like that. But you, but as I observe, there's a lot of them, they're more, they're not discipling each other. They're not really knitting together. And so, and I think even if you talk about small groups, where are we kind of all knit together in a dynamic relationship? And I think that's a hard question because I think, I think there are many things in our culture that really take us away from that, see. We, we want to be very efficient. Say, for example, how many people would, would say, you know what, we're going to make Sundays, our church, a Sunday event. And we're going to go, we're going to go to church, and we're going to have meals together, and we're going to have interaction. And so, and, and we really purposely get to know a larger community. And, and um, I don't know, I mean, it's, it's rare to find anything like that. And, and I'm, I'm not opposed to big churches, but you have to ask with big churches, what are the, what does being a big church, how does it limit you? And so people people get lost in a big church and go Sunday and don't really know anybody. So, you know, the point I'm making is, how do we build those interactive relationships? I want to go to something that you were talking about, Norm, uh, while we were eating, and we, we cut out that section so people didn't hear the great conversation we had. But you, as you talk about knitting together in these relationships, um, that takes time, mm -hmm. that takes intentionality, mm -hmm. that takes sometimes years of, of commitment. Um, and you were talking a little bit about efficiency um, and how there may be a trade-off between efficiency and you know a, a Christian life together. Would you just repeat some of those those thoughts that you were saying? What do you see as the problem of efficiency in the church? Well, efficiency is we usually when you're efficient, you want to do something fast as you can. You know, if you have an efficiency expert in a factory, they're trying to get the product done as fast as they can and do everything they can. Well, you can't take time to talk. I don't want you to have a coffee break because if you take a coffee break, we're not going to get the product done. See. And I don't want you talking to that other person on the line because you're slowing it down. You're efficient, but what's happening? You're running the organization, and, and people feel like they're a, a robot, you know. So, so when we, so when we go to church, church may be very efficient. First of all, we want church over in an hour because the football game's on. And so part of, the, part of the discipling, I think we have to ask is, are you willing to make your, this relationship with Jesus Christ, are you willing to make this church a significant part of your life? I, I've asked this question, this is, I'm kind of leaning over to talking about discipling. I've, I've said, uh, and I've, I really thought a lot about this. Supposing somebody comes to you and says, uh, great, I really want to grow, 
And I will, I'll give you two years of my life. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. If you will help me to grow in two years to really be devoted to Christ, to be, you know, so and so on, to be a better father, be a better dad, whatever it is. All right. What would you want to see at the end of two years? What would you what would you want to happen in the per, in terms of the person's spiritual life, their walk with Jesus Christ? What would you want them to know about the Bible? What would you want them to be if they're in a marriage? What, what would you want their marriage to be? Like? What would you want them to know about evangelism? So when you make the, I'm, what, I, I did this, I made it kind of like a worksheet where at the end, the idea is at the end of two years. This is what will happen to that person. Now, first of all, where are you going to find somebody who will give you two years? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll meet with you an hour a week. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for that, but uh, is it, can you meet an hour a week? Well, that, accomplish, in other words, efficiency, see, I've just got that much time. But, but, um, but if if the person said, I really want to walk with God, I want to know the Lord, I'll give you two years of my life. Like we have um, Mormons and others, you know, they, they will, their young people go out on a mission. They give a year or two. What if we could, what if we could offer something to a young people to say, if you will give us two years of your life, we promise you, you will be different. You will have a walk with the Lord. That you'll have a what you'll know how to share your faith and so on and so on. Hmm. Now, that's that's a big stretch. I think in the scripture, when you look in the scriptures, Jesus says, "Come and live with me for three years." Hmm. Paul talks about taking Timothy, and they went with him. Hmm. Paul, if you look at Paul, Paul always has got somebody walking along with him. See. He's always, they're always going somewhere. So, and, and if we, and I'm, I'm thinking a lot outside the box here. But if you, if we could somehow establish a plan that we would be equipping people, and in the process, they are going to be responsible to reach out and equip others. See, so this person has got two years. One of the first thing you do is say, I want you to find somebody that you will begin to invest in that person what I'm investing in you. So it's not just what what's Ted in my relationship, but now, Ted, what's happening with you and Bill? What are the issues? What have you learned about him? What are the issues? Where does he need to be challenged? Is he teachable? You know, as you're... <clears throat> gosh, so many things I'm thinking as you're sharing all that, and... One of them is it's it's interesting that um, we do have sort of a microwave kind of culture often in the church where it's like, okay, we want to see something happen. Let's just pop this person in the microwave, and a minute and a half later, we're going to be good. And and yet, most leaders in the church have had some sort of a training experience, like a seminary experience, where it probably took two or three or four years, yeah. and it was kind of a long, slow bake, mm -hmm. you know, and it's interesting that then what ends up happening often in the church is this, this feeling that we need to be fast and efficient. We need to do stuff. And so it's like, let's do a six week, you know, 
curriculum that will get you established in, in, in who you are, you know, in, in Christ. Yeah. And yeah. yet, um, we kind of know it doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's right. What, how, so we, a lot of the people, we think, who listen to this podcast are people who are in leadership places in the church. So, um, you know, the, the churches ultimately, to a large degree, go uh, the direction that leaders lead them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's a challenge for the person in the pew, so to speak. Yeah. But a, a bigger challenge for those who are in leadership. What would you say to, to those who are in leadership who are um, feeling everything from the pressure to be efficient to the discouragement of feeling like they can't keep up or people are, you know... Well, I, th- I think I have a real heart for that um, because one thing is we are we are hiring, and we probably don't like to use the term, we're hiring somebody to do something for us and we expect them to do we expect them to do the counseling the committee work the preaching and so you know on and on see and so what we do is that this person's got to be a jack of all trades and 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 uh i know our my pastor is a dear friend i think he works too hard to but he's feeling this pressure. All these things need to be done. So, so the question is, and you, you, you're a pastor, great. What, first of all, what are you passionate about? What are you really gifted in? What is the best thing you have to give your people? Yeah, I would like to see the leaders and say, we will do everything we can to protect this man that he can give to this church family what he is passionate about, what he is gifted in doing. But many, many pastors feel this pressure that they expect me to do these things, and they need to be done. And so um, I, I have a friend that's back east, and I remember him going on staff at the church in um, adult men's ministry. And one of the, he said he, he was really excited about it, and one of the first things they thought, they assigned him to do was to oversee the building project. So immediately, you know, he's he, he said to he said, I feel so frustrated because I gotta spend all this time in the building project and my heart is to reach these men and train these men. See. Now nobody was being bad or anything, but but that's the hard I think we have to ask hard questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you could if you what is the passion of your life? If you could do that and use at least 75% of your time just doing that, what do you have to offer your people that is most important that you can give them best of all? Yeah, that's a good question. And yeah, to answer for myself, it would be equipping teams of people to do different projects in the church. That's really, other than preaching, of course, I yeah. agree. Pastor needs to love the word and that, but that if I could spend yeah seventy five percent of my time doing both of those two things, it really would be, I think, better for everyone. But I hear in you a challenge both to the people and to the pastors in that too, right? Yeah. Because yes. the people yes. have expectations, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but some of those sometimes those expectations are just perceived; they're not actually you know true. Sometimes yes. the pastor feels yes. the need to fill in all these gaps uh, yes. for themselves, and I. As we th- think about the church is dying, you know, in some ways it would be 
what what needs to die off in the church, we might say, is is the depletion of leaders. You know, um, and and they're all of their energy going in such disparate you know directions that they really well they lose their uh, effectiveness. You know, they also lose energy, and sometimes they lose their faith. You yeah. know, as we're seeing. Yes. Um, and so I hear a challenge to the people to, for expectations, but also to the leaders and those expectations as well. Yeah, I think I think the whole idea of uh, and you you know you both have had people in leadership. You, and my guess is you probably had really good people in leadership be respected like that. But my bet is that if you think about them, they were busy in their own world. You know, their jobs were demanding a lot of them, and they had families and like that. So they, you, either you said or they said, you know, I just got a limited amount of time I can give you. And and, and the question I, I hear this in the background, what we're talking about, how are we really equipping leaders? How are we how, how are we investing in the next generation? Yeah, I, mean, I think I think one of the things that I made a decision. I told somebody I wouldn't do, uh, I wouldn't be involved in something. It was good. It was it was teaching senior adults who were 70, 80 years old, and I said, you know, my passion is to come alongside a young men and try to walk with them and help them to grow. Now, there's two pieces of that. One is, what am I doing in helping them to grow? And number two is, do they want, are they willing to make they take the time out for that to happen? I have a fellow up in Idaho that every Saturday morning, uh, we talk for an hour on the phone, and there's things that he's been studying during the week, <laughs> things like that. And he said, this is the best hour of my life. <laughs> and... I'm using that as a, as a little example, but how are we equipping the next generation? What are we giving them in experience? You, you said something a few minutes ago about church as organism versus church as organization. Yes. And as we're asking that question of the church is dying or is it, and, and I think we've made clear in these first episodes that the church as an organism, as an expression of God's kingdom and the body of Christ, that, that can't die. No, it will not. But there are ways in which churches, institution or organization or structures of church are dying off. And it, it seems to me that um, the... I, I, w- I always say that whenever you have a church that has a light bill and a payroll... There's a business side to things you have to take care of and do it and do it faithfully. But it seems like the payroll and the light bill and the building can become the mission. Yeah. Um, and how? What? What? What counsel or what encouragement will you give to people in terms of how do you keep the mission, so to speak, on this life-giving experience of body of Christ? Versus what I think most churches are honestly caught up in is how do we keep, metaphorically maybe, how do we keep the lights on? And how do we get bigger and better lights? Okay, then if that's what happened, then we got to ask the question, how do we keep growing as a body, the body of Christ? What does it mean? What is it, number one, is that going to be our priority? 
do we what, do we really say we want to as much as we can to be the living out of this organic unity and so we're going to make some choices um, this may or may not connect with me when Wendy and I got married we had an extremely limited income and I went on staff of a church as a Christian head director my beginning salary was $30 a month. <laughs> That's really true. <laughs> Eventually, I got up to $100. It cost us probably $30 in gas just to get over here today. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, but the, well, the point he said $100 later, though, so that's he, different. Here's the, here's the point I make, y'all. We made a decision we would not win death at any time in our life. Now, we would buy a house, we feel like a house is an investment, but we made a decision we wouldn't win death. I'm not saying somebody shouldn't win debt. I'm saying this is what happened to us. When, when we didn't win debt, we protected ourselves from, from being, having to be tied down to something. Uh, we were at that church for five years. In that five years, I went back to Wheaton to work on a master's. Because I didn't, hadn't accumulated debt, I could go, we, we, we could move on, see. So what I'm getting at is what are the commitments, what are the things you're going to ask the people in your congregation, the commitments to make so we can be a living relationship? For example, I use this illustration. I'm just purely an illustration. What if you said to the people, we would like you to give us five hours every Sunday? Would you, so we can live this out, this place where we can live it out, we'll have a meal together, we will have some special teaching, training, we'll be at a time when, when, when this, this mentoring, or this equipping can go on. But we're asking you, now supposing, supposing only 25% of the people say they'll do it. They would think now you got twenty five percent of the people. They're saying, "We will live this out with you." Hmm. And 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 I'm, I'm used, you know, it might be you have fifty percent, but but you, they get the point I'm saying. So, mm -hmm. does to be organic means you've got to have you got to function together. You have to have time to communicate, to feed, mm -hmm. to exercise, and all that. You know, you know that that's a beautiful connection and illustration because it makes me think about in in the ways that we're experiencing church, um, and I mean that as as body of Christ as this organic um, thing. In 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 what ways or or to to what things am I indebted that keep me from? The flexibility of, of engaging in those kind of relationships. What, what do you want to do? You want to get embarrassing, though? <laughs> sure. All it's right. I'm, am, I'm, I'm all am, over I, am I more committed to my favorite football team that I want to watch that game on a Saturday afternoon? Is that more important to me than learning what it's like to function in the body of Christ and to grow? See? And I think there's actually hidden desires in people for that commitment you know so in other words we talk about will you make this commitment will you do this five hours and there's an inward groan perhaps at the initial yeah. but actually 
people want direction yeah. and they yeah. want help. And we've actually noticed in our church an inverse relationship between asking for little commitment and and um, and the dropping off of that commitment. Or there's a direct relationship in, in that re- regard because we've noticed that if we have people serve, you know, more often, they're actually more more likely to stay on longer because um, not because we're trying to be taskmasters and you know yeah. get as much as we can out of them or something like that, but because when somebody serves more and they're there more, then they feel a greater sense of ownership. Therefore, the commitment seems a lot at first, but actually when they rise to it, then you know there's a feeling of this is exactly what I needed. And so I think sometimes we say, oh, we just want you to be here. We just want you to come, you know, once a month, or we just, you know, we'd like you to be part of a small group, but it's up to you. That, that kind of backing away from commitment yeah. sometimes yeah. has a negative effect on how much people will be involved. Yeah, there's another part of this too, Gray, and that is we have to really be thoughtful and prayerful about how do we communicate this vision to people in a way that excites them. Mm -hmm. If if somebody says, wow, I begin to see this is really a big deal. Mm. They're really saying we could be this living community in that way. And then Part of it is to learn how to filter out during the week to continue those relationships. But, but I think, the, but if we say, well, we know you're busy, we know you want to watch this, we know, and I, and I suppose this probably has to then people. But, but is there, among the three of us right here, as we're talking, is there some sense of a vision of what man, that would that could be such a cool, wonderful thing, so that we ourselves say, oh, I'd love to be able to be a part of that. Mm. And I think so. We are asking because we're saying because something really significant can happen in this time, Mm -hmm. and it can be a time then when leaders, you can as leaders are growing, they can be working with the people that they're leading in that period of time. Now, not to have a, uh, not to have a, uh, a uh, uh, finance committee meet or something (laughs) like that. I mean, that's just that. But it's how do we live in this organic relationship? Mm-hmm. I think that's the, one of the most important things. What does it look like to live in this organic relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, Norm, um, kind of one last thing I wanted to jump into yeah. um, before we close out our, our episode today. I have so, one thing, a last thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, all right. Well, let me do mine first. <laughs> With all respect. Um, so when I think about you and I think about the impact you've had on my life, um, it'd be really around two areas. One of them is in a lot of what we've been talking about, which is a relational connection, the dynamic of what it means to be. I mean, I did my master's thesis on essentially the nature of the church. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it was prompted by things that I'd learned from you and experienced with you. The other, the other thing that feels so significant is what you led me through and, and, and sowed seeds in my heart about the love of the Father yeah. and living in God's presence. Yeah. And I've told people before that um, a lot of the work that I've moved into is spiritual formation and, and understanding the, the mystical nature of our union with Christ and all those kind of things, I learned from you. And yet, um, uh, you, you didn't, you didn't, 
talk in a lot of fancy theological terms is very just on the ground rooted sort of experience and um uh i think as i started studying like the christian mystics and a lot of the the writers throughout christian history i'm reading it and thinking this is stuff norm taught me Th- these are things that i learned in seminary and and it was like that began to um, connect in even deeper ways so when you think about that so living in god's presence and that that life of love of uh, being rooted and grounded in god's love what what would you say about that in terms of um, the church today and where we are and maybe where we're going well i think i think what you're talking about is the core of all this the core is that we're coming to know the Lord is an incredible heavenly father and the Lord Jesus it's a living growing relationship see and so that is kind of like the fire that's going to ignite all of this see and I think as people realize for example I have um, one thing I realize is that all the everything that's important in life is immaterial what do you want more than anything else? You want somebody, you want to know you're loved. Love is an immaterial, it may be acted out, but, but to say, if I just knew that this person loved me, or if I knew that God loved me, what would that difference that make? Or peace. Peace is, peace is an immaterial in the sense that it's something that happens inside of me. Joy is not going to Disney World, which is okay, I'm not opposed to that, but if that's not joy, joy is something that is deeper rooted in me. So, so when you think about how do we begin to let that be the core of our life, out of that relationship, to say, this is not just training ground, this is coming to discover some of these things in a way that life begins to have deeper meaning. So, uh, the, the other thing I want to say is, I, I would, I just, I, I'd love to see more think tanks among Christian leaders. I think we need, and I think, I, I very much appreciate what you men are doing. But I think we need a place where we think, uh, uh, where we can be, we say, uh, affirm our commitment to Christ, commitment to the church, so, but where we say, but we want to be able to think out loud about some things that are important. What does it mean? You, you raised this real important thing. How do we, what, how do we disciple people? What does that look like? How would that, what needs to be in there? How is, I think that's a really important thing because we talk a lot about it. And you alluded, is it offering a six-week class on how to share your faith? Or is this linking people up that have that have a spirit of evangelism and and begin to walk together? So I can say, oh, I get it. I'm getting it. I can do it now. Now, one last thing. Now, whatever we do needs to be done to the level of reproduction. So whatever we need, we we say we're going to do this. I'm going to do this with you until you can do this out there on your own. And that's going to be a searching thing because we do too many things that are never get to the level of reproduction. Well, 
Thank you. Thank you for the <laughs> privilege of being with you guys. Oh, thank you, Nora. Yeah, thank you joy. so much. It's been it was. great. Yeah. Hey, thank you, friends, for joining us uh, for Taste and See, podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. You can check us out at sfsaz.org. There's lots of resources on there, articles, uh, spiritual director, um, what would you call it? Directory, I guess. A director directory. And uh, so you can find a spiritual director there and lots of other things. And uh, Ted, we also have a conference coming up. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, the conference in February, February 2nd and 3rd. It's a Thursday night, all day Friday with uh, Chuck DeGroat, who's a spiritual director, pastor, seminary professor. And he's going to spend a couple of days with us and check it out. Uh, you don't want to miss it. Norm, we can't thank you enough for your time and for your hospitality, bringing us in here, letting me drink out of your grandpa mug. Uh, I'm not a grandpa yet, but I got to pretend to be one for a minute. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Norm. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.